in response to a theological controversy this week, uh, one of my friends dropped this nugget of wisdom. He said, to critique someone's doctrine is one thing. To call into uh, their entire orthodoxy into question is another. You better be right. And then he, and then he referenced Matthew 5.22, which says, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This is, this is a sobering reminder as we come to our passage in 2 Peter this morning. We are going to be addressing uh, false teachers. So as we'll see, Peter harshly uh, calls out false teachers. He does, this, he does this openly and he does this rightly. He, he even says God will condemn them, condemn them to hell. And, and he does this confidently because he's standing on the word of God. So when we look at the passage today, we can stand confidently on the word of God to call out false teaching and false teachers. We'll get into some names this morning, but we want to remember that there is a difference between being wrong on a piece of doctrine and being a heretic, being a false teacher. We're talking, uh, when we talk about false teachers, we're talking about fundamental differences in core doctrine. Okay, so we're talking about, we're talking about things uh, that pertain to the character of God, the Trinity, uh, how we think about the Bible, uh, salvation by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, things that are, that are core to what it means to being a Christian, things that uh, you must believe, things that uh, determine whether you, in, whether you are in or whether you are out. Um, this, this morning we're going to name some false teachers and warn about their theology, and we will do this carefully and soberly as to not slander a brother. Um, according to Matthew 5, we, we better be right. In February 1999, uh, Rob Bell planted Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, just a few miles uh, uh, across the state. Um, Rob had graduated from Wheaton, um, a very prestigious school, and Fuller Theological Seminary, and he spent some time working in Grand Rapids at a local church. Um, he decided to plant his own work in a high school gymnasium there, and it exploded. Within a year, they ran out of room, and they had to move to an old shopping mall in the area. Uh, in 2005, the church drew around 11,000 people each week to hear his teaching. So by all accounts, Rob was a magnificent communicator. Um, Tracy and I actually attended a service there about 15 years ago once uh, with my aunt. And I, I don't remember much, and, and I was, I was a, a young Christian, much less discerning, um, but I do remember he was very captivating. He would captivate an audience. He became an instant celebrity in the broad sense of evangelicalism. He had produced a series of videos. He called them NUMA videos, um, and these were used by youth groups all over the nation. Um, he, and he wrote a few books. And he, he was gathering quite a following. And the church was doing good things, right? They were, they were helping the poor. They were reaching the community and loving one another. These are all good things, and these are all right things. But even from the beginning, something was off. Something was missing, and namely, it was the gospel. In 2001, even early on, uh, Nine Marks reviewed his videos, and they said, um, the gospel, as Bell communicates it in Numa, runs something like this. All of us are broken, sinful, selfish, and prideful people. We carry around the baggage of our hurts, our resentments, our jealousies. As a result, we are just a shell of the kind of people God intends us to be. 
But our God is a loving God who accepts us just as we are. He can comfort us, heal us, and make us whole, real, authentic, living, laughing people. Not only that, but Jesus came to show us how to live revolutionary lives of love, compassion, and acceptance. By learning from his teachings and following him, we can live full and complete lives that God intended. And that's about it. That's not just the introduction that leads to an explanation of the cross or atonement or the resurrection um, or salvation. So far, at least, that's what Numa holds out as the gospel. So his questionable theology and his dangerous trajectory was noted early on. Um, but even so, Rob Bell was able to gain an audience within the Christian community. So book after book was released, um, each with a sour flavor of bad theology um, served to the masses. It wasn't until 2011 when his seventh book was released called Love Wins where he was widely and rightly called out as a false teacher. In this book, he came out as a universalist uh, saying no one will be punished in hell forever. This denial of the very basic teaching of Jesus caused prominent evangelical leaders to bid him farewell once and for all. Since then, he's left Mars Hill and he's left the church altogether. Uh, however, his influence continues as he still uh, publishes books. Him and his wife have recently published a book about, uh, on marriage. Um, and not surprisingly, uh, they have come out in full support of same-sex marriage in this book. It's, it's a sad story of a once a professing believer, someone who claimed the name of Christ and sought to preach and teach uh, in his name. But what he was teaching was not the gospel. Teaching matters. Our doctrine matters. False teachers blaspheme the name of the Lord, storing up judgment for themselves and leading others to hell. This is what we'll see today in the book of 2 Peter. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to focus on verses 10 through 22 this morning, um, but I want to capture the whole train of thought. So we are going to back up to verse 1, um, where Pastor Richard led us last week. 2 Peter 2, starting in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of, of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct of the wicked, for as, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the righteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, 
Do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as a wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking uh, the, w- the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey with human voice and, restraint, and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. May God bless the reading of his word. Last week, Pastor Richard unpacked the first ten verses. Um, This idea of false teachers was related to false prophets from the Old Testament. Uh, Today we're going to continue to dig deeper into the character of false teachers and the disaster that that they leave in their wake. False teachers blaspheme the name of the Lord, storing up judgment for themselves and dragging others to hell. Starting in verses 10 through 16, we see the characteristics of false teachers. We see the characteristics of false teachers. Uh, False teachers are false teachers because they arrogantly and willfully preach a different gospel. Rather than submitting to the word of God, they, they twist and they mangle the scriptures. They do not fear the Lord And they do not diligently seek out the truth of the Bible. Instead, they change the message. They they sinfully make the word say something that it does not say. The the first characteristic we see about false teachers is back in verse 1. They bring destructive heresies. These guys bring destructive heresies. In verse 1 it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. These, these men have brought these destructive heresies, these false teachings into the church. They are actively preaching a different gospel, blaspheming the name of the Lord. Again, again these, are not, these are not secondary issues. These are not tertiary issues of doctrine. These are core matters of the faith. These are matters of justification, matters of the Trinity, um, our, our doctrine of Scripture, our doctrine of hell. These, these are core matters that cannot be denied if you are truly claiming to be a Christian. We're, we're not talking about arguments over infant baptism or uh, how we set up church government. As important as those matters are, that's not something that determines whether or not you are a Christian. 
right? So last week, Pastor Richard quoted from R.C. Sproul in his sermon. Um, R.C. is a conservative Presbyterian, um, and he disagrees with our church on infant baptism and church government. And he's wrong, right? He, he's also a brilliant man, and he's a gifted teacher, but, he, but he's wrong. Um, but I've learned a lot from him. He is not a false teacher. These are, these are not destructive heresies, but these are matters of disagreement over secondary doctrine. We, we couldn't coexist in the same church. Um, but that does not make him a false teacher. So we need, we need to be careful with our words. He's not a heretic. Um, he's a wonderful brother who is mistaken when it comes to secondary matters. So sadly, we had to reject his application when it came to the pastoral search team. <laughs> he's out. Uh, Ligon Duncan, Kevin DeYoung, they are all out for the same reason. Sorry. Uh, what, what Peter is writing about here are men who are arrogant and foolish as they proclaim doctrine that is opposed to the revealed truth of Scripture. Uh, with sinful motives, they actively and they proudly teach another gospel. We see further down in the chapter that they don't warn people against sin, um, but they op- openly and boastfully entice people to indulge in their sin without fear of judgment. As Christians, we know that we serve a holy and a just God. Man rebelled against God in order that he may be brought in, uh, in order that he may be brought into a right standing uh, before God. Payment had to be made for sin. God sent Jesus, the Son. He came to earth to live a perfect life. He came and obeyed the law perfectly, and he was unjustly condemned. He was executed on a Roman cross, absorbing the wrath of God. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and now he rules and reigns over all creation. Those who repent of their sin and turn to Jesus by faith are forgiven and will one day be glorified with him uh, and live forever. Repentance is integrated into the core of the gospel. Sin cannot be removed from our message It cannot be removed. False teachers are those who would uh, reject any part of that truth of the gospel, who would twist it or add to it. We firmly and confidently reject those who would dare to mess with God's revealed word. False teachers bring destructive heresies. That is what they do. Secondly, false teachers exhibit proud rebellion. They exhibit proud rebellion. Right away in verse 10, Peter says, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Some, some translations say bold and arrogantly. They are loud and proud in their insubordination. They have extraordinary confidence without humility or wisdom or fear of the Lord. We, we see this quite often today, do we not? Those, those, who, those who push a false message in our culture are often the most loud and proud individuals that you will ever meet. Uh, Now, some some part of this passage was difficult difficult for me this week to understand. Um, Peter says, They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Uh, he, He seems to be saying that that good angels, though greater than false teachers, do not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment on uh, glorious ones. Um, why, why would good angels pronounce a blasphemous judgment on glorious ones? Um, the, the, the NIV captures the thought better in this case. Um, there it says, these false teachers are not afraid to slander celestial beings. 
So uh, this makes a lot more sense. Peter is building on the previous paragraph when he said, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment uh, in verse 4. He's talking about angels who rebelled against God. They are the celestial beings, uh, the so-called glorious ones. He's not, he's not speaking of them being glorious in the way that God is glorious, but rather being, being spiritual beings rather than merely uh, flesh and blood humans. Um, so, so once we put that in, into place, the, the thought progression makes sense. Peter's saying that these false teachers are so bold and so arrogant that they presumptively pronounce judgment upon fallen angels speaking proudly and confidently, confidently about something that they know very little about. They actually know very little about this, but they are speaking proud and confidently about this. Even good angels do not pronounce judgment, but know that, that this job is reserved for the Lord. Um, False teachers show themselves to be proud fools when they speak confidently about things that they know very little about. Uh, if you know me at all, you know that um, when it comes to certain topics, I am especially passionate and confident. Um, I have very little patience when it comes to certain topics. So statistical analysis of baseball is one of the topics I am super passionate about. Uh, something fascinating to me Yes, something that's a big waste of time, debatable, maybe, <laughs> probably. Uh, either way, I confidently know what I'm talking about. Um, it goes way beyond batting average and home runs. It gets into OPS and wind shares and defensive zone ratings and park-adjusted normalized statistics. Micah knows what I'm talking about here. It's a game for dorks, right? So uh, I fit right in. I think Moneyball might be my favorite book of all time. So when I get into a debate about something um, like the value of Madison Baumgartner over Clayton Kershaw or, or why Miguel Cabrera should win the MVP over Mike Trout, um, I probably take it much too seriously. Uh, but what drives me nuts is when like Joe Blow comes off the street, um, probably, probably some scumbag Red Sox fan, and he wants to argue with me, it quickly becomes apparent that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And uh, he, he's, he's still valuing RBIs as if it's a legitimate statistic, and, and he doesn't know what wins above replacement even means. So, so true to Red Sox fan form, he is willful and boastful and arrogant, and, and with each word he's making himself look more ridiculous. Um, he is talking confidently and talking loudly about something he knows very little about, uh, obviously. Um, and this needs to be pointed out, and I always oblige. <laughs> All right, it's, it's a silly illustration, right? Uh, probably some pride on my part, but uh, the point stands. But false teachers speak confidently and proudly about something that they know very little about. They are blaspheming the Lord. Our God is the judge and jury. He is the one who pronounces judgment. He has given us his word this is why when we preach and we teach and when we admonish one another and when we encourage one another, we stick close to the word. We don't make things up as it feels good to us. We stick to something we know is true. If we are wandering from the word, we are uh, wandering into an area where we could get into false teaching. We don't speak proudly and flippantly, but we speak in humility and in submission to the word. Preach truth. Preach the gospel. Do not add to it. Do not take anything away from it. False teachers do this, and they bring destruction upon themselves. 
False teachers bring in destructive heresies. False teachers exhibit proud rebellion. And third, false teachers display corrupt actions. They display corrupt actions. The rest of the paragraph describes the sinfulness of these false teachers. It says that they will suffer wrong as a wage for their wrongdoing. They, they delight to revel in, the, in their sin in the daylight, uh, blatantly loving their sin and enticing others to do the same. In verse 12, he compares them to wild animals, irrational creatures of instinct. They are driven by their own desires and feelings rather than uh, a rational uh, thought based on God's holy expectations. He, he goes on to say they are blots and blemishes on the church. Uh, contrast to what he says down in chapter 3. He tells the Christians to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish at, and at peace. False teachers are found dirty and sinful before the Lord. Exactly the opposite of what Christ desires. All right, so what does he say about the sin of false teachers? He says they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Sexual sin is a mark of a false teacher. Those, uh, there are those who would twist the Bible to say what they want it to say um, in order to satisfy sexual desire. Uh, sex is a good gift from a good God in the context of a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage. Anything outside of that, according to the Bible, is sin. I, I have cringed the last few years as uh, many have made terrible arguments for the validity of same-sex marriage. Pastor and author Brian McLaren has shown himself in the past to be a blatant false teacher with his denial of Jesus' uh, substitutionary atonement on the cross. So it should come as no surprise to us when uh, we find out he is straight into the weeds on his sexual ethic. Um, when asked a question about whether or not homosexual activity was sinful, he said, when the issue of homosexuality comes up, people quickly say, what about Romans 1? What about Leviticus? What about 1 Corinthians 6? I want to say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 13? What about James 3? When we move forward with the wise attitude James describes, I think we can get to a better place on this issue. So, so, so you see what he's doing here, right? He's, he's pitting Scripture against Scripture. He's taking clear didactic teaching from the Bible, and he's calling it into question under the name of love. He's saying he knows better than the creator what love is. He, uh, we need to be discerning, and we need to be guarded as we're listening to teachers, checking everything against the word. False teachers teach destructive heresies, and their lives are steeped in sin. What other sin does Peter uh, reference in this text? He referenced greed. He says their hearts have been trained in greed. He recalls the sin of Balaam, who loved uh, to gain wealth from his sinful uh, prophecy. False teachers display the sin of greed. Really, no kidding. We turn on TBN and we see it in the first two minutes, right? Peter's prophetic words are confirmed here. Um, Creflo Dollar preaches that material riches is the result of uh, our faith. He says, as, as the righteousness of God, your inheritance of wealth and riches is included in the spiritual blessings or spiritual things the Apostle Paul spoke of in First Peter, or in Ephesians 1.5. He says, based on Psalm 112.3, righteousness, wealth, and riches go hand in hand. This coming from a dude who has a private jet. Two mansions and a private jet. So let that sink in for a minute. Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, and a host of all other prosperity gospel peddlers would have you believe that God wants uh, to make you comfortable and wealthy as we breeze through the Christian life. 
Brother and sister, do not be fooled. Jesus calls us to a life of sacrifice in the gospel. He says, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is not an easy calling. This is not the prosperity gospel. False teachers bring destructive heresies. False teachers live in proud rebellion. False teachers display morally corrupt lives. Sexual sin abounds and greed motivates ministry. We, we must be vigilant to be on guard against this, not allowing these men and women to influence our faith. False teachers blaspheme the name of the Lord, storing up judgment for themselves, and they lead others to hell. This leads to the second half of the passage this morning. We've seen the characteristics of these false teachers, and now Peter goes on to describe the effects of their false teaching. The effects of their false teaching. Starting in verse 17, Peter says, These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness is reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Peter cuts to the chase here. They are, there are two major effects of false teaching. The first one is that they bring upon themselves destruction. They bring upon themselves destruction. These false teachers are waterless springs, and they have utter darkness to look forward to. Apart from repentance of their teaching and putting faith in Christ, these men bring destruction upon themselves in hell. Verse 12 says they will be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong for their wrongdoing. This is not something to be taken lightly. They bring upon the punishment of eternal damnation. Peter, in verse 14, calls them accursed children. God will judge them for their wicked teaching. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, one will also reap. Peter teaches here that these teachers will reap their just reward for their destructive lives. They may get away with it for a little while here. They may reap some material possessions here and now. They, they may garner thousands of people to their church. Uh, it might look like a success in the eyes of the world, but God is not mocked. God will have the final word. He says um, he has appointed preachers and teachers in his church, and these men have a sacred, sacred responsibility to uh, teach the scriptures humbly and accurately, and faithfully, a flippant, arrogant attitude toward God and his truth reaps condemnation and an eternity of punishment. This is a serious matter. Peter's pretty clear that, that one effect of false teaching is their own destruction, um, but the second effect is more painful. They spread deception. They spread deception. Verse, verse 18 um, says they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. False teachers don't just have a bad theology, and, and false teachers don't just live sinful lives, but false teachers teach. 
They influence people. They lead others toward a path of destruction. They, they promise a better life. They promise freedom, but they cannot live up to the end of their bargain. They are offering a distorted gospel. Rather than pointing to Christ, who promises springs of living water, they are waterless springs who only offer a life that ultimately leads to death. False teachers are hazardous because false teachers are deceiving people. Peter goes on to say, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state is worse than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. This is where I want to land this morning. Um, because this is where the real danger is for us. Uh, false teachers deceive people, and they drag people down. Let's be clear. This is not teaching us that a true Christian can lose his faith. I spoke about last time from 1 Peter 1, right? We know this cannot happen because the power of God is what keeps us. Romans 8 promises us that all who have been called will be justified, and all who have been justified will be glorified, all. We also know the Bible has many warning passages encouraging us to persevere in the faith. True Christians persevere in the faith. This is one of the main points of that sermon. If, if we are to say we are truly followers of Christ, then that will play out over the entirety of our lives here on earth. We will ultimately not fall away, but we will be made more and more like Christ until one day we are with Christ. All right, so, so, so with that in mind, let's look at the text. Peter says that we have escaped um, that if we have escaped the world and professed faith in Christ, but we are deceived and pulled away from the faith, it is worse for us than if we had never professed faith at all. If we claim the name of Christ, and then we do an about face, and we reject Christ, we reject the church, it is worse for us. Well, why is this? I think those who profess Christ and then fall into apostasy are unlikely to return. They are showing their true colors. First John 2 says, They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they are not of us. Those who have rejected Christ, especially after having an experience of, of, of professing faith in Christ and embracing the church, those who then reject him are showing their true colors and they are unlikely to return. To them, this is, this is just a, a phase in the past. Uh, friends, I, I pray that this will not be said of any one of us. I have witnessed this firsthand uh, on people I call friends and it's heartbreaking. False teachers are dangerous because real souls are hanging in the balance. False teachers blaspheme the name of the Lord and they, they store up judgment for themselves and they drag others to hell. What does this mean for us at Crossway then? What, what, our, our pastoral church team is not going to call a Rob Bell clone, right? There, there's no Creflo dollars here flying around in private jets that they've earned from false teaching that I'm aware. So, so, so what, is, what does this mean for us? How, how, how does this apply to us? I, I think first a couple of points. First, know the Bible. Know the Bible. Study the word. How are we supposed to, to discern what false teaching is and what it is not? It's, not? it's not always obvious, right? The best false teachers have a lot of truth in there, and it makes it difficult to discern what's true and what's false. They want to confuse you, and they, do, they, they add in just enough truth to make it 
uh, palpable. And, 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 and before you know it, you are uh, swallowing what they say whole, and uh, we've fallen into a category of false teaching. A lot of good churches out there use the NUMA videos before they realize what's going on. Uh, it's, it's dangerous, and we must be on guard. We have to know the word. We have to know the word. Secondly, we must confront false teaching. We must not be afraid to call it for what it is. False teachers must be confronted. So one, we can lovingly point out they are in danger of going to hell. But, but even more important, in a church context, it must be confronted because we don't want false teaching to deceive the sheep. This, this is why we are careful and we are deliberate when we ask people to teach Sunday school or lead community groups. We want teachers that know true doctrine, who live godly lives, and can teach and model that to others. Um, third, and I think this is probably where the biggest danger is for us, be careful who you read and be careful to whom you listen. Be careful who you read and be careful to whom you listen. There are a lot of popular teachers out there, and not all of them are good. Uh, We've named a few today, and there are many, many more. Uh, We must be careful who we are allowing to influence our mind. Um, I'm I'm not saying we always read the home team, right? I'm not saying that we never read competing ideas. On one level, that is good. We need to be thinking through these things. That's how we are able to dialogue with the world. But we must do this with a discerning ear that's rooted in the word, Um, I've talked to a lot of people who picked up a copy of The Shack or Jesus Calling and have been unable to see the false teaching that's right in front of their face. Uh, We must be discerning. At the same time, we must also guard our hearts from becoming theological heresy hunters. Uh, The other ditch is just as dangerous. Our hearts can become so callous that we cannot disagree with someone without lumping them into the category of a false teacher. Uh, We must read people fairly and not slander our brothers in Christ. Uh, There are many helpful teachers out there who we disagree with, uh, but it's unloving and unfair to call them false teachers. Um, I I, I read a blog post the other day from a former member of my cousin's church, um, and he's a self-proclaimed Reformed Baptist, and his his posts have been getting worse and worse. This one was on the five most dangerous people in evangelicalism. And he called out John MacArthur and John Piper uh, as false teachers. Um, knucklehead, right? Uh, you might not agree with Piper on everything, uh, on spiritual gifts or, or whatever, and you might not agree with MacArthur on everything, uh, on end times, and, and certainly I don't with either of those guys. Uh, but to, to call them out as false teachers is a lack of humility and it's a lack of grace and, and frankly a lack of intelligence. Uh, we must be discerning. Uh, we cannot become that guy. False teachers are real. False teachers are dangerous. They blaspheme the name of the Lord and they deceive others, dragging them into judgment. We must stick close to the word, comparing everything we hear to Holy Scripture that God has given us. Let's pray.